This is a sermon by Pastor Jason at Reality Church. Join us as he continues his series in Romans. Um, we're, we have a very special trip. Um, kiddos, other kiddos are going to have to come back out. It's just for the nursery. Just for the nursery. Other kids use this in space. Um, as, you, as, as you all know, this is a very special service. We are going to be ordaining Brother Garrett as Pastor Garrett. He will be our discipleship pastor. He is going to be a biblical elder. Um, as you heard, I read the qualifications in Titus for a biblical elder. And guess what? He fits the qualifications. And we are going to ordain him as a biblical elder this morning. Um, but as you can see, this is not me. This is Pastor Luke Lawson. He is, uh, I've t- he, is he is my mentor pastor. He knows that. I've told him many times. He has uh, helped me through a one-year journey of reforming my faith and, and, and looking closer to Scripture and being more biblical. Um, and I asked him to come this morning because I trust him. Because I know that he has a special, awesome word for you as a church as we go into this time which is brand new for us to have a biblical elder, a, 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 a plurality of elders is the best way to run the church. And that's what we're starting to work with this morning. So I ask that you would give him your attention. Um, I've heard him preach before. You're going to like it. Um, so uh, if you guys will give, give Pastor Luke a hand this morning. Let me get set up here. That's a lot of room up here. I like this. Good morning, everybody, and it's a privilege to. It is a privilege to be here with you. Um, I always love preaching in different churches. Um, mine is covered, and so I'm thankful for that. That's the size that one's going to go. All right, so yeah, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Jason, to let me be here and to preach the word to you. Uh, yes, he's right. Over the last year. Your pastor has become uh, very dear to me. Um, as a pastor, it can at times have bleak seasons. You look at your church members and, and uh, it can be hard at times. And then you see somebody catch on fire. They get a hold of the word or really the word gets a hold of them. And God begins to do a work in their life. Those are the exciting seasons. And uh, though Pastor Jason's not in my church uh, the revival that has taken place in his life over the last year has been exciting for me to watch him grow in his theology, to see him grow in his desire to consume the word. And so it's to that end that I'm here this morning to maybe kind of help explain some of the things that's been going on in your pastor's life over the last year. And as a result, things that have taken place in the life of your church. Um, so if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, I know, I know y'all are going through the book of Romans. Maybe you were hoping he would, uh, I would be in a different place of the Bible, but I am in Romans. I figured that passage would be best for uh, the message this morning. So Romans chapter 12. Later on in the sermon, I'll explain where we're at in the book. I know that we are quite ahead of where y'all are on, on a normal Sunday. But Romans chapter 12, this is a very big pivot 
in the book of Romans. Everything changes in chapter 12. I'm just going to read the first two verses. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is authoritative. It cuts to the heart. It divides the spirit. And I pray that this morning that you would give me unction. You would let your spirit uh, move in our hearts as we hear the word preached. And that we would sit underneath its authority. In Jesus' name, amen. The battle that every Christian, church, denomination, and generation of Christian must fight and put into practice is what we see here in verse 2. I'm going to read verse 2 again. This is the battle that we all have. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to go on a kind of a rabbit trail to help understand where I'm going with this passage. It was 503 years ago, around this time, 500 or 1517, when an obscure Augustinian monk you learned in high school named Martin Luther would nail 95 theses or 95 discussion points on the church of Wittenberg in Germany. He wanted these to be debated. And this act set the world on fire and changed everything. And from it, we call that the Great Reformation. The whole Western world got turned upside down. And even though great reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, and many more that were part of that, even though they were trying to reform, their intent was never to start a new church. They were never trying to start a new denomination. The only church that they had ever known was the Roman Catholic Church. And that was the church they wanted to reform. So the Lutherans, that wasn't Luther's point. Presbyterians wasn't Calvin's point. Not initially at least. They loved their church and wanted their church to come back in line with the Word of God. However, they were deemed too radical. But not radical because they were clever. Or that their ideas were innovative. Or because they were up in the times. That they were culturally relevant because they were hip. That's not why they were radical. They were radical because they were calling the church back to the word of God. Which, if the Catholic church at the time, and even now, were to do that, it would strip away generations, decades, and centuries of pomp and circumstance that the Catholic Church had adorned herself with. You see, the Catholic Church was made up of just normal citizens, not citizens, normal Christians who began to lean upon their own understandings, 
their own clever minds, their own innovation, their own pragmatics, and sadly sinful hearts that led to power and the church began to look more like the world. The reformers dedicated their lives to study the Bible and so they they uncovered being able to teach themselves Greek and Hebrew so that they were able to take the Bible that the common layperson did not have and they were able to translate it directly from Hebrew and Greek into the French and English and German languages of the people so the people would know what God is actually saying. Their goal was to reform the church And by God's grace, they did rescue God's bride. And they did put her back on track. They were able to purify the church. Now, there is a phrase that even that Martin Luther and Calvin, they didn't use this phrase, but it captures the heart of the Reformation. This phrase came about about 100 years later, which says, The church is reformed and always in need of being reformed according to the word of God. Let me, let me say that big mouthful again. Follow with me. The church is reformed and always in need of being reformed according to the word of God. Now there's an important point I want to make in that little phrase. The verb right there is passive. The church is not always reforming. You see... In modern times, there are a lot of clever churches who will take that old statement and they will twist it and they will say, well, we are a church of the Reformation. We are always reforming. And what they mean by that is we're always trying to come up with something clever, something new. How can we make the church more relevant to the culture? How can we spruce her up and give her a facelift? That's not what the reformers were about. That's not the Reformation. And that's not what the quote says. If we take the notion, well, we're always, being, we're, we're, we're always reforming. That's meaning that we're reforming ourselves. The phrase is this. The church is always being reformed. Who's reforming it? The Word of God. That was the spirit of the Reformation. That's what was taking place in the church at that time. And so now you can ask me the question. Luke... You're in Alabama. It's November 2020. Do we really need to talk about the Reformation? Is it actually that relevant? It's not history class. Why are you talking about the Reformation? Surely the church doesn't need to be reformed anymore, right? Wrong. As long as sinners make up the church, as long as sinners make up the church, she will always need to be reformed. Because we, with our good, clever minds, our good intentions, our desire to be relevant to the world, our desire to be new and innovative, will always help us to steer the church away from the Word of God and not to the Word of God. So now, with all that said, introduction, look with me in point number one. If you take notes, you can just write point number one. Worship is holistic. Worship is holistic. There in that verse one, that's where this point comes from. Paul is speaking to a people in that modern time or in that ancient time who had a deep understanding of what sacrifices were. They would have animal sacrifices and grain sacrifices. Do y'all remember any of the movies where they would pour wine out of their cup just a little bit? You've seen this in some modern movies. 
That's even a sacrifice that they would pour a little bit of wine out to nourish the gods. The ancient world was all about sacrifices. And so when Paul writes in verse 1, talking about sacrifices, that would have clicked immediately with them. Except Paul flips the whole notion on its head. You see, in that time, you would take a sacrifice, you would lay it on an altar, and you would kill it. But look with me in the passage. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Now he introduces a new word as living sacrifices. That you're not bringing a sacrifice to God. No, your life is to be a sacrifice. One that you live 24-7. A living sacrifice. And, he, and he, gives a, he gives clarity on what that is. A life that is holy and acceptable, which is your duty. So many times we ask the question, well, what is God's will for my life? To be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable before him. Or as the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? What is your chief end? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the business of your life, your occupation, Christian, is to glorify God and to enjoy him in that process whether it be in your private or your public life, in your family or your personal life, with your hobbies, your interests, your time, your resources, your life is one long worship service. Church isn't over when we walk out the door. Your life continues to be a sweet fragrance to the Lord or a bitter fragrance to the Lord. But our life is to be one of a constant worship service. So, so how do we make sure that our life is a living sacrifice? Well, point number two, here's how this happens. Point number two, just simply be transformed. And we see this in verse two. Let me read verse two one more time for us. So he says, this is your spiritual worship. And then verse two, this is where we see a command. Do not be conformed to this world. Now notice the word be conformed is once again a passive verb. Something happening to you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, passive once again, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Do not be conformed. Now, this is our natural disposition. There is no such thing as a neutral in the Christian life, where you're just sitting on neutral, you're idling in life. No, Two things are happening in your life. Either you are looking more like the world or you're looking more like Christ. One or the other is happening. Now, now, we, our sinful hearts are so sinful that, that they are against us in a million different ways. Even, I mean, even the Pharisees, they looked like the world, even though they were polished white tombs. They, they still were just as wicked as the world was. Satan is at work against us to entice us into sin and rebellion, but also pragmatism. And, and let me say this, because I don't have a lot of time to, you know, explain everything. Pragmatism in and of itself, is, it, is pragmatism evil? No, it's not. Is being original necessarily evil in and of itself? No. It's a heart disposition. And many times our pragmatism can rise over what the word says. Our cleverness can be more about than what the word says. Our desire to be original or new and different can be more important than what the word of God says. 
And all of these things lead us to look like the world in some way or another. Whether we look horrible or whether we look really good, it leads us to look like the world. And so there's something happening in your life and in the life of this church. Either this church and you are looking more like the world. There's plenty of churches. There are plenty of churches that look like nothing. It's just a civic club. They sing songs, they do things, but they look no different than the world. That takes place all in America right now. So are you being conformed to this world or are you being transformed by the renewal of your mind? Now, here's what's interesting. He doesn't say be transformed by your feelings and emotions. In today's day and world, we care more about how we feel and our emotions than we care about truth. If truth is inconvenient and it bothers me, I would rather get rid of what is truth as long as I feel good. And that notion that is in the world has plagued the church. And so we would rather go to a church that, how does it make you feel? I have good friends that I love dearly and they leave the church and they say, I just don't feel like I was in the presence of God. It's not about your feelings. Was the word preached faithfully? Yes. Then God was there. It's not about your heart and your stomach. i tell a funny story. My niece, when she was really young, early on, uh, her first movie was that Disney movie, um, The Princess and the Frog. You remember that that came out? And she went to the movie theater. Now, for those of us that are adults, the movie theater is kind of jaded. You know, we've been there a million times. But for her, she had never seen a screen that big. Sound that loud and animation like that. And when she left the theater, she broke down crying because she was so overwhelmed. I can take you to a Garth Brooks concert. We can go watch Journey. If Metallica is your flavor, we can go to Metallica. We can go to all these places and you can feel all kind of things. It doesn't mean anything at all happened. And you can become addicted to the feeling. And if the church doesn't meet the feelings, well, then God obviously wasn't there. And that is the biggest lie out of hell. We are to be transformed not by our feelings or emotions or our opinions, but our mind. How do we think and perceive the world? That's why God has talked to us through the word. He is appealing to our mind and our mind sinks to our heart. A church that goes straight to the heart is going to... You're just going to be a jellyfish just floating around with the currents. And so here's what Paul is doing. In the book of Romans, you can break Romans into two sections. Two big, grand sections. Chapters 1 through 11, you can call indicatives for Christians. I I know you're thinking I'm a book nerd or something. History now and now English An indicative verb is simply explaining something to you. The room looks pretty. All right, that's kind of an indicative statement. I'm explaining something to you. In Romans chapter 1 through 8, Paul is explaining to the Christians in Rome, here's what it means to be a Christian. You are sinners. This is what faith looks like. This is what grace is. Paul is explaining the Christian life in chapters 1 through 11. In chapters 12 through 16, that's the second section 
We can call that Christian imperatives. Children, y'all know exactly what an imperative is. When mom or dad says, go clean your room, that's a command. Chapters 12 through 16 are the commands that Christians are to live by. Because you are a Christian and Christ has done this for you, this is how you ought to live. And so Paul immediately starts in chapter 12. After understanding all of this Christian, all of who you are in chapters 1 through 11, do not be conformed to the world. But you must be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the Christian message. In in essence, Paul is saying this. Christians become Christians. That's what he's urging them to become. I, I, I'm a nerd. I like comic books. I like video games. I, like mo- I love movies and TV shows. I love books. And one of my favorite is the Lord of the Rings series. Y'all may not be big Lord of the Rings people, but I definitely am. And uh, spoiler alert, but you've had 20 years to watch the movies and about 40 years to read the books. So it's not my fault. But there is a moment, or there's, there's this character in the, in the Lord of the Rings. He's introduced to you as a guy named Strider, a mysterious, good-hearted ranger who helps the, the protagonist get along. You learn bits and pieces about this ranger from the north named Strider, that he is living in exile. He has turned away from his destiny Filled with good intentions, but he's not becoming who he's supposed to be. And it's in the third movie when the bad guy is going to win. Hope is lost. It looks dark. And Strider's stepfather, so to speak, shows up. And he calls him. He says, he, he, he reveals the sword of the king, the, the sword of power. But he appeals to Strider and he calls him his birth name. He says, um, Aragorn, become the king you were born to be. Put aside the ranger and become the king. In a very corny, corny way, Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12, Christians, y'all have been born again. No, not to be kings. You have been born again To be a living sacrifice. Therefore become one. That's what Paul is driving home here in the book of Romans. Christ has saved you. He's born you again. You have a new life. Therefore it should be holy and acceptable. A living sacrifice. Not looking like the world. But looking differently. And the question is. Well how how do I become transformed? How does this take place in my life? By the word of God. To give you just one verse of many. One of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. All scripture. Even the genealogies. And Leviticus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable. It's good for you for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training for righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Christian, how are you transformed? Not K-Love Radio. Not the newest Christian movie that's come out facing the giants or whatever. Not 
a little devotional book that might have a sliver of scripture in it and a whole lot of opinion from the author. The way that you are transformed is by reading the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You are transformed by the word of God. You can't stress that enough. How do I become a stronger Christian? Very simple. Pick up your Bible, ask God for help and read. Christians, you have been born again by the spirit of God, hearing the word of God about the life and death of the son of God because of the love of God, the father. You are to live a life holy and acceptable to him. All right. So now you say, okay. So what does all this have to do with our church? I'm glad you asked. Whether it be money, whether it be uh, parenting, marriage, politics, family, government, leadership, theology, worship, or how do we run a church? Who gets to have the say-so in that? God does. And how does He tell us? Is it some premonition? I received a word from the Lord. No, it's from the word of God that he tells us how to do anything in life. And so we go back to the word because it's sufficient. And so let me give you very quickly, but three things that I know that has taken place in the life of your church and give you just a, 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 hunt, a, a, a 20, uh, 20,000 aerial view of what's taken place in the life of your church. Number one, your theology has been reformed according to the word of God. I know that Pastor Jason has been on a journey in his theology and all of you have been front row beneficiaries of it. As he has searched the word, the treasure house of God has been opened to him and he has been preaching that to you. Why has his theology changed? Because it has been reformed according to the word of God. And church... He is not the only one in this room who needs to be reformed in his theology. You do too. And so, in one sense, the burden is upon him and Garrett soon to teach and to preach the whole counsel of God to you as a workman who needs not being ashamed. You remember that verse that Paul tells Timothy? He says, do your best to present yourself to God as an approved as a worker, one approved, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, he's going to stand before God someday. Now, I want you to hear me on this. This is important. He's going to stand before God someday, and he's going to have to answer God for everything he has said in this pulpit to you. The weight of your souls is on his shoulders. And Garrett, you too. But their theology is not the only one that needs to be changed in this church. All of us, you and me and them, need to always be being reformed by the word of God in our theology. How do we know who God is by what we feel like? The newest movie, K-Love, how the great that, oh, that song was so, no, what does the word say? We are to be re- reformed according to the word of God in our theology. One of the first verses I had to memorize, Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness and listen, and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Throughout the week, y'all should go back over Pastor Jason's notes. Let's see how he found that. Let's see. 
Yeah, okay, I understand point one and point two. You should be examining what he's preaching, not with a critical eye, but with a learning eye. Number two, worship reformed according to the word of God. I know that y'all's worship has taken many forms, and now there is a new order of worship. What is the call to worship? Why do we read so much? Why is this prayer so long? Is this some new innovation? Is it going to attract the lost? Is it what some cool hip pastor of 3,000 members is doing? No. We do not worship God however we want to. And I know that is the spoonful of medicine we have been filled most of our life. Just worship God however you want. Just just with a good heart. However you want. I'm going to tell a funny story on me. This is embarrassing. And I love my mama dearly. Me and mom for church one Sunday with good hearts. We prepared the Lord's table. I'm so horrible I'm saying this. And to open the Lord's table, we dressed up as mimes. And we did a skit to prepare the Lord's table. I should have been struck down. Mimes preparing the Lord's Supper for the church. But hey, it's clever. It's new. It's innovative. And they were talking about it for weeks on end. Probably of how silly I looked in white paint. No, if God is only concerned about your heart and however you worship, just as long as you have a good heart, God owes an apology to Cain and to Nadab and Abihu that God killed instantly just because they used the wrong fire on the wrong altar. God owes an apology to them. God owes an apology to Uzziah, who with a good heart saw the ark beginning to fall and not wanting the ark of the covenant to hit the ground Touches it to stable it. And God kills him instantly. God owes him an apology because his heart was in the right place. My point is this. We don't worship God however we want to worship him. Worship is not man's innovation. We worship God how he says, I want to be worshipped. Now you may say, but Luke... The Old Testament worship laws, there was a lot of them. And I don't see that many laws and regulations in the New Testament. You're right. You don't. Many of the elements of worship in the Old Testament, the priest's vestments, the office of priest, the sacrifices, all of the feasts, all of them pointed to Christ and were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Meaning that we don't need those elements of worship. But to think that God hasn't given us an idea of how He wants us to worship means you're just not reading the Bible. Let me just give you just a few quick verses. When when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, He says that you must worship in spirit. How does it finish? In truth. Most churches today just want to worship in spirit. How does it feel? How does it feel? I feel good. No, spirit and in truth. Or Colossians 3.16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwelling you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Singing is to be part of worship. Or Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. There are biblical reasons for why there is now a call to worship in your order. Why y'all end with a benediction. Why there is preaching. Why the Lord's prayer is there. Why there is repentance And pardon, all the elements in y'all's worship service are there because it's in the Word of God. 
And it reflects the gospel and it reflects the word of God. And so that's why things have changed. Lastly. Lastly. Your church. The leadership is being reformed according to the word of God. A lot of questions on this. How should the church be organized? No members? We don't have a list? Maybe we do have members. Is it elder-led or do we have deacons? Or elders and deacons? Is the pastor more of like a CEO? That's pretty clever. What about a board of elders? Can women be pastors? What about no leadership? Maybe it's a congregational-led church. Or maybe it's Presbyterian in its government. Or is it Episcopalian? Bottom line, you should organize your church the way that God has called you from Scripture to organize it. And yes, there is diversity here. Congregational, Presbyterian, and Episcopal-style churches find their biblical reasons why they exist in each of them. But there are some things that are non-negotiables. Churches should have a plurality of elders, which is what y'all are moving into today. Where he gets to share the load of shepherding the church. We see that in Titus 1.5. Pastors, elders, and deacons should be mature, biblical men. You want to talk about something that's not culturally relevant right now? Saying that men should be elders only. But what does the Bible say? Maybe the Bible's wrong. It's old-fashioned. Or maybe we want to do things the way we want. We find 1 Timothy 2, 12 and chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 and Titus 1 giving us clear pictures of who elders should be. And I can't tell you how many churches don't even pay attention to that anymore. And so this morning, we're going to add leadership to your church to help your pastor bear the responsibility and the privilege of shepherding this church. And so a good question is I'm going to end with. How should you, as a church member, think and react to now Garrett being ordained as an elder in this church? Guess where we can find the answer? Let's see if you've been paying attention to the sermon. Where do we go to find the answer to that one? The Word of God, the Bible. Paul, or I don't know if it was Paul, but in Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. <gasps> We don't like the word submit. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. They carry a great responsibility. And so here's what it says to you. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. And so this morning I'm excited to be part of this church to preach the word. To help ordain Garrett. And I am excited to know all that God has been doing in this treacherous year in the life of your church, with your pastor and with you. And I will be continuing to pray that God will continue to transform you and this church according to the word of God and not be conformed even to the cleverness and the things that look really good of this world. Let me let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning and for this passage. And we thank you most of all that this passage is not go fix yourself. Go figure it out. It's you and your great love for us. Seeing us as complete sinners. It is you who sent your son Jesus Christ. 
to figure it out, to do it the right way. Christ came and he obeyed the law perfectly, laid his life down as a sacrifice for us so that we could be pardoned and forgiven, that we could be united with Christ, that we could be adopted as sons and daughters to you. And so the burden of being transformed, Father, the great part of it is upon you once again in the word. And so we pray that you would create humble hearts, hearts that yield to your rule. And that by the power of the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God and the reading of the word of God, you would transform us to be beautiful, fragrant sacrifices that live for your glory in any and every season of life. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out all of our social media. The links are in the show notes. Catch us next time on another episode of Small Town Pilgrims Podcast.